Amen. Please be seated. Thanks, guys, for leading us in worship this morning. And children, before you go, hang on a second. Just wait one second. Wait a second. So uh, what you guys, kiddos, what you guys saw Maddie just do, that's our prayer for you. That one day you will want to testify to Jesus and say to the world, I've given my life to Christ. And you will stand in that very same horse trough and dedicate your life to Jesus and be ingrained into the life of our church. And so, kids, you may be asking, how is it I learned to do that? How is it I come to do that? Well, guess what? That's what you're about to go do. You're about to go learn how to do that. So, off you go. Yeah, now you can go allocate. Yes. Yeah. Maddie, thank you for your clear testimony. Uh, what a good day. Um, in my mind, we can just pray and head on home after that. Uh, but I prepared a sermon, and so uh, I'm going to preach it. Uh, what a good thing, Maddie. Thank you. Welcome to the life of God's people. And uh, what a good day. Robert, Will, Stephanie, Jen, uh, Kate, welcome to the Church Flaming at Restoration Church. And uh, it is a great joy to stand in front of you and preach God's Word. Um, let me pray for us and we'll get going. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done, not only in Maddie, but in all of us that believe. Lord, just as our brother Berkeley so wisely reminded us, the day in which we look back to our baptism and what a good day that was, how we can think about it and think about even our nervousness and all those other things. And yet we stood in front of your people and said, Christ is Lord. I am his and he is mine. And so we rejoice, God, and we pray that maybe even today that someone will respond to this, the power of the love of God. Something that maybe is more than all we could ask or think, but you would do in this service. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. When I say the word power, the word power, what kinds of things comes to your mind? Do you think about militaristic power? Sort of armies, missiles, tanks marching by you? Do you think about political power? The ability to control maybe the legislative or the executive or the judicial branch of our government. Or maybe something more sinister like Kim Jong-un in North Korea or Maduro in uh, Venezuela. Do you think about that? Do you think about financial power? The ability to purchase anything you want, anytime you like. Maybe you think about electric power, just being able to flip on the lights. Physical power. Maybe natural power comes to mind. We've seen that on display right in these California wildfires. Maybe think about emotional power where someone is able to have sway over another for good or ill. But I think nowadays when we hear that word power, it oftentimes conjures up images of negativity, doesn't it? Not all the time, but sometimes it does. The words of the atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche comes to mind when he says, the love of power is the demon of men. Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Again, the assumption is that most people don't handle power well. They abuse it. And we're all aware of those countless kinds of stories where that's happened, right? Haven't we? We, we all know ways in which people have abused power in some way, shape, or form. We've seen pastors uh, abuse their authority, right? We've seen churches uh, abuse their power and authority. We've seen priests, for sure. We've seen politicians. We've seen parents Judges, educators, policemen abuse their authority. 
some way, shape or form. I run into people all the time. I'm sure you have, too, that when I talk to them about Jesus, they may be interested, but then they'll often say something like, but I'm not into the institutionalized church because they've seen the abuse of its power. There have been so many abuses of power that our culture has come to adopt this notion of rejecting authority. We are suspicious of anyone or anything that stewards power and that authority. And so we're taught now that since power is so often abused, we should just trust ourselves. Trust ourselves. Let nothing stand in our way. Individual choice is now sort of the thing in which we can trust. That's the safest place of power since all other places have eroded our trust. Well, friends, I have a lofty goal for us this morning. My hope is to be countercultural and to maybe restore your trust and a power and an authority external to yourself. My hope for us this morning is to help us see our need to trust in the love of Christ. And yes, even churches that walk in that love in order that you might be led to live for the reason on which you were born. To live for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. That's my goal this morning. We're going to be uh, doing that, taking a look at that, thinking about from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. So if you don't have a Bible, you'll see those screen, those verses eventually when I read them. But uh, Ephesians, we've been walking as a church through this letter. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. The guy that wrote this is a guy by the name of Paul. Paul's an apostle. He's sent by Christ. That's what that means. Uh, and he is in prison. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 1. He's in prison for preaching the same gospel that he's writing about. He would go out places. He would preach the gospel. People would spawn. He would establish churches. And because of that, they throw him in prison. And what he's been doing, Paul, for the last three chapters, he's, he's writing to this same church that he started, by the way. Paul started this church that he's writing to. And he's writing to this church from prison. And uh, in the last three chapters, or actually the first three chapters of the letter, he's been reveling, Paul has, in the accomplishments of the gospel. Reveling in them. He, he says in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we, he says, has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are counted faithful in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. We are alive in Christ. We are one in Christ. We are, chapter 1, verse 7, redeemed in Christ. Meaning every sin for those of us that believe has been forgiven as the record of Christ gets transferred to us and our sin gets transferred to Him on the cross. But most recently, Paul has been sharing in chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, the way that he's been praying for this church. And here in verses 20 and 21, Paul, at the conclusion of this prayer, he sort of erupts into this doxological explosion, this kind of volcanic eruption of joy and praise to God. That's the context of verse 20 and 21. So let me read those for you. It's short. So he's just been praying and then he comes to the conclusion of his prayer and says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. That's our passage for this morning. So here's the big idea. The big idea is the power of God is seen in simple people loving a powerful gospel for the forever glory of God. So we'll see this morning. Power of God is seen in simple people loving a powerful gospel for the forever glory of God. Now, as I mentioned, this prayer here, or this portion, is the conclusion of Paul's prayer. You can see that in the Amen. We Christians say Amen. That just means truly. Uh, and so, for my non Christian friends that are here this morning, 
Uh, you should know that we Christians do not believe that prayer in some way gains the favor of God. That's not why Christians pray. We're not trying to pray in order to gain the favor of God. Instead, we as Christians believe that prayer is the privilege of the redeemed. It's very different from the way other world religions understand it. So, for instance, I do not have willful access to the uh, Oval Office. I do not have willful access to the court of Queen Elizabeth. I don't have willful access to any other great court or high court in the world. But as a Christian, I have been granted access to the throne room of God anytime I please. Not because of anything that I have done. Not because I'm a pastor. Not because I'm a professional Christian. I sort of am, right? But it's only because of the grace and the mercy of God. The same gospel that you heard Maddie preach, same story to me. And every Christian, we have been granted access to God. And so it's a prayer is a privilege. You can see that. You can see this notion of our not being anything, but God being everything. Therefore, we have that privilege. If you were to look back in chapter 3, verse 8 of Ephesians, we see there Paul, an apostle of Christ. He's sent by Christ. He understands in 3, 8 that he's the least of all the saints. We tend to think of powers like everybody wanting to boast in themselves, but this great apostle understands himself to be the least of all the saints, and yet he goes on to say in verse 12 of chapter 3, we as Christians have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, in Christ. So you can imagine being a sort of poor and rebellious pauper in a great and wealthy kingdom where the prince comes and he loves you by giving you access to the king room anytime you please. Not because of anything that the poor and the rebellious pauper has done, but because of his grace. That's the picture of prayer, the privilege of prayer. So we as Christians respond to the grace of God by glorying in God through prayer. And that's why Paul concludes his prayer in the way that he does here. All that we have, we have as Christians because of the mercy of God, because of the grace of God, which then informs not only that he prays, it also informs what he prays. And he prays now to him. Who is able. The hymn there is referencing the Father. Christians believe in one God and three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. We've been singing about that today. But the hymn here is referencing the Father. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly. Now you should know that Paul is moving here beyond the rules of grammar to make his stupendous point. Isn't that great for those of us that struggle with grammar? Right? It's inspired of God. Right? He's moving beyond the kind of rules of grammar. Him who is able to do far more abundantly is like saying... Him who is able to do way more of more. Or far beyond what is already beyond. In other words, what he's saying here is he's trying to stretch our imaginations to help us understand the reach of the Father's power towards us who believe. Paul is erupting in exuberant joy as he prays in such a way as to illustrate the ability of the Father's power. Namely, that he is way more, he's able to do way more than more. And you then say, right, well, Nathan, what more than what? Well, way more than more than all of we, all of what we could ask or imagine or think. You then respond, okay, well, Nathan, I, I don't quite comprehend how much he's saying here. That's the point. It's so much. We can't possibly come to the realization of the wealth here of God. So if you were to ask for a gazillion dollars, and I'd be like, cool, here you go, here's a gazillion dollars. You'd be like, wow, that's. That's a lot. And I say, yeah, I know it's no big deal for me because I have a gazillion of a gazillion of a gazillion of a gazillion dollars. And you'd be like, I can't even imagine that. You'd be like, right, exactly. That's what he's trying to get at here. We can't imagine 
what it would be like to live on the surface of the sun. We can't imagine uh, all kinds of other things. We can't imagine what it would be like. Take this for a second. We couldn't ask or imagine what it would be like that every citizen of Washington, D.C. would obey every rule of law all the time for 15 minutes. Like We can't even... I mean, just try to think about that. I, I, can't, I can't ask for that. I can't even think about that. I can't even... Now, think about that and ask it for the world for, for 15 minutes, that the whole world would obey every law, would be loving and kind to the other, obey every governmental law, the whole world, 15 minutes. We just... Right? We can't even imagine such things. And Paul is saying the Father's able to do that and abundantly more than that. We literally cannot think or ask of any good, righteous, or holy thing that God is not able to perform. I love how F.F. Bruce says it. He says his capacity, God's capacity for giving far exceeds our capacity for asking or imagining. See, Paul recognizes that we have bumped our heads on creation. God the infinite and we the finite cannot possibly understand what the Father is able to do. Listen to what he says next. What he is able to do according to the power at work within us. We cannot imagine what he's able to do according to the power at work within us. The Father is able to do way more of the more than all we could ever think or imagine, ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us. What's that power, Nathan? So it work within us. Well, notice the us in there. American culture, we've been, we've been bumping our heads against this through this whole series. We love to think of the individual. A lot of good in that, but we forget the corporate. So notice the us there. That is work with, that according to the power that has worked within us. That's the church. That's the church. Remember, what Je- uh, way back in the beginning, he's writing in chapter 1, verse 1, to the church who is in Ephesus, the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. You say, okay, what's this far more abundant thing that we could never come up with that is according to the power at work within the church. What is that power? Good question. Slide back to our passage we looked at last week. Chapter 3, verse 16. And there we get our answer to what this power is. Chapter 3, verse 16 says that according to the riches of His glory, this is Paul's prayer, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you, the church, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, in your inner being. That word power there is the same place we get our word dynamite. I just love that. So I'm going to play with that word the rest of the sermon, by the way. Same place. So this power, he's praying that this power would be strengthened. The church would have it go in their inner being. They would get dynamite down inside. But for what? According to the power, to get in, spirit come in, and power deep inside for what? Well, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, Helpful. Power is dwelling in our hearts. Christ would dwell, would live there, take over all of it. But what's the power of Christ going to do? That's verse 19. That we would then know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge in order that we might be full of all the fullness of God. We would know the love of Christ. This is the power. that We would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we might be full of the fullness of God. So when Paul erupts in praise to God that he is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, what Paul is saying there is that the love of Christ would be able to dwell within the church so powerfully that it can result in things going beyond anything we could ask or imagine. 
So the love of Christ working in the hearts of the people of the church can dwell in such a way as to accomplish more than any of us could imagine or dream or think about. And don't miss what comes next. The end or the goal of this love working in us, Restoration Church, is not ultimately for us. It is for us in part to enjoy, to know, to experience. But it goes more than that. There's something beyond us. Got news for you, folks. You ain't the end of the world. Neither am I. He prays. He goes on for that. The love of Christ dwelling powerly in us, Restoration Church, is meant to illustrate glory from us and to the Father and to His Son, Christ Jesus. Love powerfully doing stuff, working inside here, working around in us more, more, more. Powerful strength so that glory would be given to God and to His Son. In other words, the powerful love of Christ that transforms a community so that we might magnify the Father and magnify the Son. The church of Christ, friends, does not exist uh, for itself. It exists to display the power and the love and the glory of the one that made it and purchased it for himself. And you may be thinking, well, Nathan, isn't that sort of arrogant of God to sort of think about his own glory? Great question. Makes perfect sense that you would ask that. Because if I were to say I'm living for my glory, we would all recognize that that's wrong. But here's the reason why that's wrong. It's because I am not infinite. I'm not holy. I'm not perfect. I'm not God. And so God, being the highest and best of all things, it is not only right, it is wise of Him to live for the praise of His glory. That's wise of Him. If He were to treasure anything else, He would not be wise and not be worthy of our worship. So the power comes from Him, therefore the glory goes where? To Him. Too many churches forget that critical piece and they fail to steward the grace that may have been given to them. We have access to the unimaginable love of Christ that is so powerful to move within us that we cannot comprehend its ability. We have been given that access so that in the church we might know that love and then give praise and honor and glory to Christ. When? Forever and ever. Amen. That's what he says, right? All generations and forever. We have not been given that power so that praise and glory would ultimately just come to us and stop with us. The church exists to praise the Father, praise the Son. And guys, listen, the more we get that, the more we live in the unimaginably great power of the love of Christ. So you say, well, Nathan, what does that look like exactly? Take a look at Jesus and you get a picture of it. Take a look at the ministry of Christ. Remember, guys, what Christ is in time, God is in eternity. So, When we see Christ, when we see Christ, we see God. That's what Jesus said Himself. So how did Christ steward the power of the love of God for the forever glory of God? How did He do that? Because whatever it is we see, that's going to give us an indication of what it would look like for us to live in the power of that love and do much more than we could ask or imagine. So let's start with His birth. Jesus' birth. Mary was told that she was going to give birth to Jesus. She asked how this could be since she was a virgin. The angel responds in Luke 1.35, quote, the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power, same word, dynamite, the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the child will be called Most Holy. So what do we learn from that? Well, we learn the power of God was used in that way to give life and love to Mary and by extension the rest of the world. 
Let's go to another one. Mark chapter 5, verse 30. We get the story of the bleeding woman. Now Jesus is operating in his public ministry. This woman had exhausting her savings account by trying to get her. She uh, has a sickness that sort of causes her to bleed a lot. She's gone to doctor after doctor, and they've only made it worse. She hears of Jesus. She goes to Jesus. She has faith in Jesus, reaches out and touch him, touches Jesus. And Jesus senses that dynamite goes out of him. Power goes out of him. And she's healed. So here again, the power was given in such a way as to stop pain and bring life, bring healing to others. In Luke 4, another incident, Jesus is teaching with authority in a synagogue and a man with a demon stands up and says to Jesus, have you come to destroy us, Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus responds to that man that stands up, be silent and come out of him. And the demon comes out. And they respond in Luke 4.36. Listen to this. Listen for that word power. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with all authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. So here we learn that Jesus uses his authority to teach and to cast out evil, to get rid of evil. Final one, Luke chapter 9. We see that Jesus shares his power with his disciples so that those disciples would have the power to overcome demons and cure diseases. And later he says that when they're doing that work, they're not going to get hurt in the work. And so unlike, this is key, unlike unjust leaders who abuse power, Jesus, who has all this power in the love of God, he gives his power away to others so that they would then steward that and see things that are wrong be made right. And in the process, those people that were doing that work good wouldn't get hurt. That's how he uses his power and the love of God. And then even after the power of Jesus' resurrection, he tells his disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive my dynamite. You will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And that's what happened. So Jesus resurrects 40 days on earth, preaching as a resurrected in his resurrected body. He ascends after that 40 days. And then the Spirit of God comes to those that believe. It attends to them. And then they go out and preach the gospel. To all kinds of different people in power. Listen to what Acts 4.33-35 says. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not, listen, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of the lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed as any had need. So let's sort of sum all this up. How did Jesus accomplish more than all we could ask or imagine according to the power of the love of God in him? How did he do that? What did he do? Well, he used it to heal the sick, to drive out evil, to teach the word. And then, having overpowered sin and death on the cross and in the resurrection, he shares that power through the Spirit to his disciples, who then he, who he then commands to go and make disciples who would make disciples. And those disciples preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, by the way, that Paul would later say in another book in Romans is the power of God to salvation. The same thing that you saw in Maddie, which she testified to. It is that kind of power. Both Jew and Gentile, the whole world. And that's what happens. Those disciples go out and the power of the gospel transfers. They, sp- they preach the gospel and people begin to believe. They get transferred. These individuals get transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. As they preach the gospel, these people that respond, they're born. Jesus would say they're born again. 
They're given new life. Sin is destroyed in the power of the cross and life is given in the power of the resurrection to all who believe. This is more than we could all ask or imagine. More. It's heaven on earth. We've been thinking about this. Ephesians 1.10 In Christ, God is reconciling heaven and earth together. And all those that respond to that gospel, what happened? You can go back this afternoon and read Acts just to check me up on this. They respond to that gospel. They're born again. They're given new life. And they don't stay by themselves. What happens is as they preach the gospel, they get collected into these things called churches. And they all come together. And what do they do there? They get baptized. Amen. And they are brought into the fellowship of the church. And it says day by day. You guys are like, man, church getting there once a week. They're, They're every day showing up to church. And they're coming together to hear the apostles teach in the power of his word. And they're praying together and they're singing together. And as you heard in Acts 4, if somebody has need, they're selling stuff. They're selling Chevrolets and, you know, 10 tracts of land in Montana somewhere. So nobody has any need. They didn't have cars in the first century, just so you know. But, but this is amazing, isn't it? This is more than we could ask or imagine. People are being born again. They're coming together in Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, all together as one. And here's the amazing thing. That happens not only once there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It starts happening all over the place. Paul is preaching the gospel and all these churches get planted. And these communities of grace and love and the power of God gets People are changed. Their whole lives are changed and they come together as one, just like in this gathering today. And it just spreads and spreads. And listen, this is key. I'm making a bit of a transition here. So pay attention to me. If you're zoned out, come back in. Right? Paul writes to one of those churches that started. And listen to what he said, how this happened. How their church came into being. He says in 1 Corinthians 2.4, this is one of the churches he started, my message, the gospel, was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, what Paul just said there wasn't fancy. Paul is known to probably have been not a very good public speaker. One of the guys that wrote, that planted the most uh, churches in the beginning uh, of the first century, that wrote 13 books of the New Testament, known to not be a really good speaker guy. It was the simple, he says, the simple proclamation of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. Life came. People were changed. Communities of grace and love were formed. Heaven on earth. More than anybody could ask or imagine. So do you see what he's saying, Paul? When Paul prays here, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, Paul is saying that the mere existence of their church, this church, our church, reveals that he is able to do far more than anything we could imagine. And just think about it, guys. You say, Nathan, no big deal. Anybody could walk up and just get in a horse chop and get down in there. Anybody could go gather a bunch of people, right? Go down to the National Mall. I can just start acting crazy and gather a crowd. That's not what happened, though. So if you're, you're not a Christian, just be aware of this. There's 120 members of this church. And of those 120 members, if you were to go and interview all 120 of them, you got all different kinds of backgrounds. And we're all jacked up, myself included. Like we're all just messed up and we all love each other. You can't do that. If you had all the money in the world, you couldn't purchase and make a church. Because you can't buy someone from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. You can't make them come together and love each other. No matter how much power you have, you can't do it. 
It is literally impossible for anyone to do it. None of us can make someone born again. None of us can make them then gather together and love each other. You cannot do it. None of us are able to destroy evil, create communities of love and concern for those in need. No matter how much influence you have, no one could ever dream of being able to do that. And yet in Christ, that's what God has done. And that's what He is doing through the church, magnifying His glory. And therefore, to Him be glory in the place where we can see that love at power. In the church, which is the body of Christ. And, the, and glory be given to the head of the church, Christ the Lord. So you guys see, you guys see the unimaginable power of God is seen in the presence of one small gospel-believing church. Where we all come together as one. One with God. One with each other. And all of this was born in love, and all of this is strengthened in love. Love for God, love for neighbor, not love for self. So the power of God is seen in simple people loving a powerful gospel for the forever glory of God. All right, Nathan, beginning to make a little more sense. Just flesh that out a little bit more for me. All right, but this is the last time. All right. Fleshing this out a little bit more, how this is seen. The power of God seen in simple people loving a powerful gospel for the forever glory of God. That is this unimaginable power. Another illustration is Paul is going to transition. Look down there in chapter 4, with the very next verse in chapter 4. You're going to notice he's going to transition of what glory looks like in the church. So, all right, he's praying that God to all, God be glory forever and ever. Amen. Like, all right, so, so Paul, what, what does that look like exactly? Well, look at the very next verse. Note that therefore, there's a reason it's therefore, right? I, therefore, in light of the fact that God has done everything in chapter 1 to 3, and he's able to do far more than we can ask or think. I then pray that God would be glory in the church and to Christ Jesus. How, how Paul? How, Paul? Chapter 4 to 6. That's how. That's what it looks like to give glory to God and display his unimaginable power. And guys, here's the thing you're going to find. If you've never read Ephesians 4 to 6, here's what you're going to find. I just want to prepare you. In the eyes of the world, it's pretty boring. Here's what you're going to find. I've had people come to me and it's like, Nathan, just love this emphasis on grace. All I'm doing is preaching the passage, y'all. So just remember that when I have to move to this other stuff where we're talking about, hey, don't get drunk, right? So just, I'm just preaching the passage. So he moves down, and what he says, the way that we display the glory of God in Christ Jesus, His unimaginable power in the church, is through simple things. Paul pictures here, the, he, pictures, he paints a picture in 4-6 to six of, of, of a life that demands death to self, love to God, love to neighbor. Demands being empowered by the love of Christ to do this stuff. Not just once or twice, but all the time. He goes on to say things like, don't lie. Don't steal. Share with those in need. Here's, a, here's one that requires the love of Christ. Forgive people. Don't cuss. We'll talk about that. Don't get drunk. Don't even, how about this one? Don't even let a hint of sexual immorality come out of you. He'll say, be thankful. He'll say, wives, submit to husbands. He'll say, husbands, love your wives. He'll say, children, obey your parents. Workers, listen to your bosses. That's what he's going to say. Fight against the evil one that is going to try to steal glory right here and try to divide us. Simple stuff in the eyes of the world. Simple. Someone might even say, unimpressive stuff. Not the kind of stuff that we would think of all that you can ask or imagine. And yet I ask you, if it's so simple, 
Name one place on planet earth it's happening. You can't. No matter how much power, how much wealth, no matter what, you cannot do what the church is able to do in the power and the love of Christ. There's only one place that can happen in a gospel-loving church where people are submitting to Christ and His Word out of love for Him and love for each other. That's why the church is the portrait of the love of God, the powerful love of God, not because of its flash. By the way, I recognize that churches get this wrong. That's why we need letters to correct us and the Spirit to correct us. But this is all going to happen not because of its flash, the church and its power to display the glory of God. It's not going to happen because of its flash but because of its simple, spirit-empowered devotion to love God and neighbor at the cost of themselves every single day. So just think about this. Did Jesus say, to his, he gives them a new command in John 13. Did Jesus say, they will know you're my disciples by how big your gatherings are? What did he say? How awesome your buildings are. How handsome and funny your preachers are. Is that what he says? Thank God, no. They will know that you are my disciples by how awesome your music is. Right? How wise and sort of Jedi-like your philosophy is. Is that what he says? That you'll know my, you're my disciples by that? No. You'll know my disciples by your miraculous signs that you do. Is that what he says? No. John 13, 35. They will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. That's what he says. That's the powerful love of God that we can't ask or imagine. No one has ever been able to engineer this in the power of their own strength. No one but Christ. Napoleon Bonaparte, of all people, got this. Listen to this quote. He said, I know men. I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every person in the world, there is no possible comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions would die for him. Unquote. The gospel-loving church illustrates the power of God to accomplish more than anyone could ever ask or imagine. And because it does, it magnifies the one that made it. Simple people doing simple things in the powerful love of Christ to the glory of God. And guys, this is the same point that Paul makes to that same Corinthian church that I read before. I spoke of before. Let me read this for you. He makes this same point. Listen to this. He's writing to the Corinthian church right before that passage I read before earlier. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? This is writing to a local church. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. And Greeks uh, seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. In other words, this is ridiculous to those folks. For the foolishness of God 
is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your callings, brothers. Now think about this. Think about getting this letter from Paul. Right? He writes this to you. Think about your calling. What you were like before you were saved, that is. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Again, all the kind of stuff that none of us could ask or imagine that God would actually do. So that, as it is written, let no one boast except in the Lord. Somebody asked me this week, Nathan, where's all that power that we read about in Acts in this church? Where's that happening? Where's the kid being raised from the dead? Where's the, you know, like the, like, you know, my, about a towel, like I touch it and people touch it because I touch it and they get healed. Where's that happening? Where, where's the story of like the dude, like Paul getting bit by a snake and he lives to tell about it? Where's that happening? Where's all that stuff kind of happening? Isn't that the kind of power? Isn't that the kind of stuff that we think we could never ask or imagine? Wouldn't that glorify God all the more? First off, I do believe that glorifies God. Secondly, I do think that stuff happens today. But hopefully you know what my answer was in terms of God's normal work. The power of God working in the church to the glory of God was seen in that baptism. Did you see it? Or was it hidden in plain sight? Yes, Maddie could have gotten up there, as I said before, and just sort of gotten wet. People do that all the time. But that was meant to testify to an internal reality that none of us could have ever accomplished or dreamed to have happen. It was right in front of us. But many of us were so familiar with baptism, we're sort of like, yeah, whatever. But no, something was testifying to happening that none of us could ask or imagine. There's power in the love of God in the heart of Maddie. And think about that again. There's 120 members of this church. That happened in 120 of us in just this room. 120 people in the world that were messed up, still are, rebels of God. Go back chapter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Dead in our sins, following the prince of the power of the air, doing whatever the heck we wanted to do. And God said, no. And He transferred us. And He changed our lives. Slowly, painfully sometimes. But He did it in a moment and He works it out. That happened time and time again. The Gospel is foolishness to the world. And yet for us, it's our greatest treasure. So think about this, guys. Think about this church. Every time we come together and sing and pray and preach, every time, listen, every time we take the Lord's Supper, we not only say that we believe it, we say that we love this Gospel. And how does that happen? Not only that Maddie could do that today, not only that we could do that today, but this happens day after day, week after week, month after month, on and on and on, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I had lunch with a guy that was telling me about a pastor that had been pastoring for 58 years. I don't know if I'm going to do that, guys, just to let you know. It's hard work. How does this happen? How do we love Jesus day after day after day, testify to His grace in the midst of a world that's hard? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. It happens by a God sustaining us by His love. Doing something that we could never ask or imagine. That He would save one person, much less hundreds and millions, and sustain them day after day in the midst of all of life's toils and keep them together to display His glory. 
The power of God working in us is seen whenever we see the love of Christ dwelling in someone. So that love so often is manifested in the simple and the small. A phone call, a text message, a simple lunch or dinner to see how someone's doing. It's seen in the tears of someone that was shed when they have their their personal devotion and they just rehearse the love of Christ to them. The powerful love of Christ working in us for the glory of God is seen when we pray together, when we weep together, when we laugh together because we learn, learn about something that God did in our lives. The powerful love of Christ is seen as when we show up to our community groups week after week, when we read good books, when we, how about this one, fight against sin, repent of sin. Do you know how countercultural repentance is nowadays? That's God's grace. It's amazing that this is happening. When we scatter out after our gathering and we work at our jobs with excellence and diligence, even to the unjust bosses, because we know and believe that we don't work ultimately for them, but for God. It's amazing that that's happening day after day. It's seen in the million acts of service of parents to their children because they know how God loved them and so they love their kids, especially when they're crying at three in the morning. You go in there and you love them because you're operating in the love of Christ. It's, it's seen in the tens of thousands of dollars that you give to this church and we give it away to gospel preaching churches and gospel ministries and we give to the poor so that they have something to eat and and they have their needs cared for. I could go on and on, but I think you guys get the point. God is glorified in the church when the church loves and lives out that gospel. And most of the time, that unimaginable power of God working through love in His people is indiscernible to the eyes of the world because the point of God's love is to highlight our weakness. Power of God is made perfect in weakness. And so we've got to remember the stuff that we may think is normal and mundane. We're oftentimes reflecting what, God, what the world thinks is mundane and normal. Or maybe we've just gotten used to, but the reality is God is working through us in those moments and it's highlighting the grandeur of His glory. And so let's not forget that what is in the eyes of the world sort of normal and mundane and not really powerful at all, those kinds of things are the things that God put together in our lives together so as to illustrate our sort of weakness and our needs so as to show that we need Him and we need each other and that displays His glory. The world is not going to notice that. We have to notice that. Let's not forget, guys, that when Christ hung on the cross in the eyes of the world, they all thought He lost. They wagged their finger at him and said, he can't even save himself, he says, they said. And yet in that moment, there was more power, more love, more winning than ever in the history of the world. Never before in the history of the world was someone loving and winning and showing the power of God than when Christ was hanging limp on a cross. We know this, though, beloved. We know this because we've been given eyes to see it. And so many don't. We've got to pray that the love of Christ would so dwell in our hearts that we would not be given to how the world measures power and value. Pray that we would see the power of God to the glory of God in the simple act of just a child placing in a quarter and a basket out of faith. There's power in that. He gave us more power than we could ask or imagine when He gave us eyes to see the cross, to love the cross, to live for the cross. Remember, guys, that the sign of the cross is a sign of foolishness to the world. It's a sign of common criminality in the eyes of the world. But to us that are being saved, it's glory. It's our whole life. Let me end with this. Many of you know uh, my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies. Uh, It's about to come out. You need to watch it. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. I love this movie for a lot of reasons. 
But the story, if I can, hopefully I won't spoil it for you, but it's really good. The story of It's Wonderful Life goes like this. George Bailey, guy grows up in this town called Bedford Falls, just forgotten little tiny town. and Nobody even knows where it is. It's just a small little community. And George Bailey wants to get out of this tiny town. He wants to get out all the time. He's trying to save up money to go to college and to see the world. And he's always dreaming. When he's a kid, he grows up and he never can get out. He's graduating high school. He's about to go off to college. And then his dad dies. He's got to take over the old Bailey building and loan. Like he had to take it over. And he didn't want to, but he stays. And then all of the rest of the time, his buddies are doing really great. One of his buddies makes a bunch of money and they're you know, seeing the world and fancy cars. And another of his, his brother becomes a war hero. He didn't even get to home, go fight in the war. He stays at home and fends off, you know, nobody. And the whole time he's thinking, man, they've got it all good and good. And then he goes home to his house, and his house is this old house that his wife loved. And it's this you know, messed up, kind of creaky old house that they lived in. And he comes home, he's got all these kids. Kids are driving crazy, right? Kids drive us crazy. Right? And he's thinking, oh, he's had a hard day. Some things have happened. He had some bad things happen in his life. And so he comes home, and he's just like, I've had it. And he says, I, I just wish I'd never been born at all. Because, by the way, I didn't even mention, he got married. And he was about to go on a honeymoon. and gave that away to stay home to help. He said, I wish I'd never been born at all. And he was given this gift to see what his life would have been like had he never been born at all. And you know what he found out? This is the beautiful part of the movie. He found out that Bedford Falls would have never been the same were it not for him. He loved people in simple, often not profound kind of ways. Helping him get a house. Helping him pay bills. George Bailey found out that his life was wonderful. Though in the eyes of the world, it wasn't much hidden from the most of the eyes of the world. And that's our life as Christians. In the eyes of the world, it's not much. But to us that are being saved, it's a wonderful life. Because we operate in the powerful love of God and we love Him by loving others in sacrificial ways. For the glory of God, for the good of one another. And we then, as a result of this, we do not conquer by force. do not conquer by anger. We do not conquer by size or skill or by cunning. We conquer by the blood of the Lamb. Foolishness to the world, life to us, glory to Him. In Restoration Church, let me end by saying, you have done this so well. You are so encouraging to me. The way that you spread the gospel, the way that you care for each other, you do this well. So, let's do it all the more. Let's think about these, let's imagine, ask and imagine uh, stuff that God could do within us. Most notably, just what I was thinking about when Matty was being baptized. George, Charles Spurgeon once said that the more I preach the gospel, the more elect I find. Guess what? The more that we preach the gospel, the more we get to have services like this. More than we can ask or imagine. Because we can't save anybody, but God can through the proclamation, simple proclamation of our loving people and speaking the gospel. And so maybe that would be you today where you trust Jesus for the first time and say, I want to give my life to him and follow him forever and always. If that's you, come and talk to me after the service. So now, I'm going to pray. And then we as Christians love to respond in singing to rejoice of this wonderful gospel. Let's pray together. God, to you that is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. To you, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.